You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for the VolQuest podcast where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everybody, and welcome into the VolQuest podcast. I'm Eric Kane, Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs, and Austin Price. I'm with us here today. Tennessee Falls 63-38 to to South Carolina on Saturday. It's going to have to flip the script in a hurry. Of course, no Hinden Hooker. Uh, he's out with a torn ACL. Uh, Joe Milton will be the guy. You look at Vanderbilt now, in-state foe. Uh, it's going to be senior day, fighting for bowl eligibility, coming off two big wins over Kentucky and Florida. This game becomes really, really important and a big-time football game. Uh, but a lot of that, Brent Hubs, is because of the way Tennessee played on Saturday night. Obviously, just not the effort you're looking for with the college football playoff. Uh, hopes still uh, very much alive and well. Not a good defensive effort, and uh, Tennessee kind of made its bed, and it's going to have to play in it now. Yeah, let's be honest, a horrific t- defensive effort. Um, just just poor on, on all fronts. Uh, didn't do anything well defensively. Um, and it's a head-scratcher. I mean, in, in 25 years of covering Tennessee football, it's one of the – it's up there as one of the bigger head-scratcher games that, that you've ever seen. Um, you know, Memphis 96 uh, is a game people talk about. Um, you know, 01 LSU because of the magnitude of, of that loss – um, and that's, I think that's why people have been, uh, there's so much talk out there about what's going on with this team, Rob, because it, it, this, it doesn't add what happened Saturday night is hard to just say, well, they just had a poor night on the field. Right. Because just, I mean, when you're a 21 point favorite, you get beat by over 20 points that one is it's hard to wrap your head around and figure out what happened with Tennessee. I mean, I've, I've written this and said it and, I mean, it, it was the most surprising outcome to a sporting event that that I think I could ever recall. I mean, the Memphis game you referenced, and that was an awful loss. But that was also a fluke, you know, kickoff return that in hindsight, the guy should have been ruled down. LSU, I mean, at least you're, you know, that, that was the SEC West Division champ and, you know, maybe the greatest college football coach of all time on the other sideline. I mean, South Carolina just did things that they haven't done to anybody all year long and, and they did it for 60 minutes and it, it was just it, it was mind-boggling to see that self that South Carolina team put up 63 points in a game yeah I mean I get you know I get why everybody's mad I mean they should be right I mean I mean nine touchdowns on 10 possessions I mean <laughs> I mean <laughs> hard to do that against air I mean like it, it's unbelievable um you know with that said I mean you know as we said Sunday, you know, you scream the bucket, you got to move on. Like, you know, I mean, this team better move on or Vanderbilt will beat them Saturday. You know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, Saturday, again, they may prove me wrong, but I think that, you know, they won't be near as crisp on offense as they've been. I think, that you know, who knows what happens with Brew McCoy. We'll see if he plays. If he didn't come back in the game after he subbed out um, for, for Ramel Keaton, 
you know, Cedric Tillman took a big shot to the leg when another high pass and he went and got it. And here he is taking more, you know, lower body shots. Um, you know, obviously Hendon's not there. And, and, you know, as much as I think Joe's improved, I mean, I, he still has, you know, the tendency just to, you know, rocket him in there, you know, and when, you know, sometimes that throw requires touch. And so, I mean, and Vanderbilt's playing with a lot of confidence. They won the last two games. Now, are they some juggernaut in doing so? No, no. But, I mean, they've won games that were in front of them. Can they do it again? If Tennessee lets them hang around, Vanderbilt can absolutely do it again, especially if the defense is as poor as it was Saturday. And here's the thing with Vanderbilt. I mean, it's um, it's improved offensively. It's gotten it's gotten better in a couple of areas. That offensive line's gotten a lot better, not turning it over as much. But defensively, it is uh, statistically still worse than what it was last year. And last year it was you know, dead last in the SEC. So – uh, but more on the South Carolina game, um, you know, a lot of talk was about when we had media on Monday, you know, what was the week of practice like? You know, what was the 48 hours leading into kickoff? What was different? Because, again, like Rob said, it was just so it was so shocking the way this turned out. And you know, Josh Heupel said on Monday that he liked a lot of stuff about practice last week. He liked the attention to detail, said that they were focused and locked in. And Maury Thomas said the same thing about practice last week. Then Aaron Beasley gets up there. And uh, I had kind of had to do a double take to make sure I was kind of you know, yeah, hearing him correctly, this is what Aaron Beasley had to say about heading into the game, what went wrong in the football game, and kind of how Tennessee approached it, at least Tennessee's defense. Our biggest thing was just execution. Um, we, we didn't execute, you know, um, the cause we should have executed. Um, just, the, in my opinion, the urgency, man, to start the game, we didn't have enough urgency. You know, we thought we was going to come in there and just, you know, if things was going to fall where it was supposed to, but, you know, it don't work like that. In, in college ball, so I, I think that was the biggest thing, just execution and the urgency It wasn't there. I assume we just felt like it was going to be given to us. Um, we felt like we didn't have to, you know, go out there and work for it. We thought they were just going to, you know, lay down. And, you know, props to them, you know, they came out, they, they played they played a great game, they played physical, and they're a great team, and they, and they showed that Saturday. You know, obviously it, it showed, like you said, it showed that on Saturday about South Carolina. also showed that if that indeed was the mindset of some of the players defensively, uh, it's not what you want to hear, uh, Austin Price, and uh, you know credit Aaron Beasley. Um, he was he was honest about it, and that's what he said on Monday. Yeah. Any however, any kind of correlation to the Georgia State game from a standpoint of like I think that team had that mindset. Oh, Georgia State will just roll out here and roll the ball out, and by the time they figured out they were in trouble, they couldn't get anything done. And and it almost felt like that Saturday with Tennessee. By the time they realized, uh oh. It was a problem, and they couldn't reverse reverse the traction. Yeah, I think the difference that I would say was I think the Georgia State story was that the coaching staff had moved on and, and wasn't really focused in on Georgia State. True. Um, I, I don't think that was the case with Tennessee's coaching staff. I think they, you know, they had a plan in place, and um, you can certainly debate whether it was a good plan. Looking at the the execution of it, it wasn't. Um, but as Aaron Beasley said, there they didn't they didn't play with the, the sense of urgency that they needed to, and uh, you know I I don't know I, I mean they just Tennessee didn't have any answers sideline to sideline. I think they're going to see that again this week against Vanderbilt. Rob, I thought they got a little dose of that against Missouri. They handled it okay, but Missouri, you know, a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of fly sweeps, trying to get to the corner. Uh, the difference between Missouri and South Carolina, South Carolina could get you going, try to get you going sideways. 
and then Spencer Rattler was hot and could throw it over your head. Missouri didn't have the capability of throwing it over your head. But I think until Tennessee shows they can stop that sideline-to-sideline stuff with their front seven uh, or even their linebackers and, and safeties, I, I think I think teams are going to show that and continue to show that against Tim Banks' defense. I think you make a good point because one of the comments for a lot of people coming out of the Georgia game was, you know, did Georgia show people a blueprint? Did Georgia show people a blueprint? We were all kind of like, you know, may, maybe if you've got a bunch of NFL players on defense, that, that's a blueprint for you. But a lot of teams can do what South Carolina did offensively to Tennessee, you know, without having NFL players all over the place. And I, I, I think you're exactly right, Hubbard. You know, Missouri had a lot, of, a lot of success. That's a four-point game in the third quarter until Tennessee takes off. And, you know, South Carolina did enough. Where, I mean, Tennessee had 500-plus yards of total offense, 38 points, 30 first downs. If I threw those stats at you, you know, pregame, you're thinking that's an, that's an easy – Tennessee win you know maybe they don't cover three touchdowns but they go out and get their usual 40 some odd points and I, I had I mean seeing what South Carolina did to them offensively was just was mind-boggling even and it just kept happening and happening and I mean I, I think I would probably agree with Beasley's point about urgency but I, I think Hubbard's right I think South Carolina exploited some things that ha- have probably been there all year long and, and Josh talked about it today not making plays in space not getting off blocks and, you know, it wasn't anything super fancy. To put to put this uh, in, in master's terms, um, Tennessee, you know, a 10-win season is considered a huge success, right? Saturday is basically like bowing 17 and 18, like Tiger did in 05, but still winning if you win Saturday against Vanderbilt. You lose, and this is Norman 96 type stuff collapsing down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, it, it's it, – Saturday is massive, and right now, early in the week, and I know everybody's going to laugh when I say this, I honestly don't know who I'm picking because I just – there's a lot of questions, and, you know, I think Vanderbilt can beat Tennessee. I also think Tennessee could come out, and it could look like – you know, I told Hubs this the other day. It could it could feel like Tyler Bray's first game against Memphis in the Liberty Bowl where they're just throwing deep balls, jump balls, and, you know, having a lot of fun with Joe Milton. But – there's just a lot of questions and until you get out there on the grass Saturday, I don't know if we can really answer them. I mean, I I think Tennessee can go out there and win by 25 if it wants to and go about 30 if it wants to. But again, I I said the same thing about South Carolina last week. So there's South Carolina mods pick Tennessee 52 to 10 or Mm -hmm. 60 to seven or whatever. They picked a bludgeoning. We picked a bludgeoning. No one saw what happened Saturday coming, which is what makes all of this, the reaction, you know, what it is. Well, and, and here's the thing that, that nobody took – I mean, you don't take into account, and I'm not saying it's anybody's fault who picked the game. Um, Spencer Rattler's a talented player, okay? He, he was successful at, at Oklahoma before he got beat out by Caleb Williams, who's going to New York as a front runner now, I guess, or one of the front runners for the Heisman Trophy. So it's not like Spencer Rattler has been a bad player. What he is is he's a guy who's hot and cold. you got to knock him off rhythm. you got to get him out of sorts. Tennessee never came close to getting him out of sorts. If you look at this Tennessee defense overall, to me, the only way for them to be a successful defense, and, and Rob, Austin, Eric, you guys may, may disagree with me. I, I think with the limitations and what they are in the secondary, I think the only way they can really be disruptive to an offense is if they get after the quarterback. I think when you look at their two best games, LSU and Kentucky, there's 10 sacks in those two football games. and the, the Pittsburgh game, you know, they got into the backup quarterback and, and they gave him a, a ton of problem. 
when Tennessee can't get home and can't get pressure, that they're going to have a hard time slowing anybody down if they've got some kind of quarterback play. That's why I'm a little perplexed by what, and I don't, I didn't look at it from the standpoint of how many times they absolutely blitzed or didn't blitz or whatever, but I'm perplexed that on any third down situation, that's a passing situation. They're not bringing a bunch of people, whether it's third and eight or it's third and 35. I, I don't, I'm I'm perplexed at, at why they don't consistently bring people on third and long, um, because I think that's the only way their defense can be effective in defending the pass. That's just my belief. I got it right here. I don't have third downs, but I mean it's it's pretty remarkable when you look at it. Of course, this is uh, according to Pro Football Focus. Spencer Rattler was kept clean seventy nine point five percent of dropbacks. That's thirty five dropbacks in this football game. He was kept clean on thirty five. Tennessee blitzed. 43.2% of the time. So Tennessee almost blitzed 50-50, and he was still kept clean, Spencer Rattler, almost 80% of the time. That's alarming. That is alarming in a big way because I agree with you. I mean, there are limitations in this second. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter who it is. Of course, we know about the safeties. It's been a rotating door at cornerback all season long because of injuries and this and that. But in order to help those guys out back there, you need to apply pressure to the quarterback. Now, that means, for Tennessee's sake, is bringing somebody from the second or the third level because the front four is just not getting back there on a consistent enough basis. Um, I don't have third downs here, but the fact that he was kept clean and not touched as much as he was in this football game, that's alarming, Brent. Yeah, it's surprising to me that they blitzed half the time because it didn't feel like they were yeah. blitzing half the time. Now, you know, again, when, when South Carolina brought the Atkins kid in uh, and played him at running back, Rob, he was, it was pretty clear. He was just the extra blocker. I mean, he wasn't going to touch the ball. He wasn't going to get the ball. Um, nothing like that was going to happen. So uh, they were max protected with him and, and he was just picking up whoever came through the a gap and Tennessee, I guess, tried to bring more a gap pressure than I realized that they did, but South Carolina did a really good job picking it up. They didn't disguise it very well. I don't think Tennessee didn't. Yeah. I mean, when you're giving up eight of 11 on third downs and, touchdown drives on nine to 10 possessions to me there's just there's just no downside to gambling because you know whatever your your base you know package and your game plan is is very clearly not working so you know i prefer to you know peel your ears back and go try to make something happen as opposed to sit there and suffer death by a thousand cuts well and here's the other thing rob i and, and austin rob i agree with you as well you look at that lsu game it was the stunt game, right? That created, they got home with four against LSU. You know, you got Joshua Joseph with a sack. You got Byron Young with a couple of sacks. Then it was off of a stunt and a twist. Okay. Well, you can't, I don't know that you can do that effectively against Vanderbilt as much as they roll the quarterback out, Eric. I mean, if you, if you bring an outside guy and loop him inside, to me, you're giving up a soft corner there in a rollout situation with the quarterback. I'm not sure you can do that because they get their quarterback on the edge quite a bit. So, a challenge to create a pass rush this week for Tennessee. Tennessee desperately needs to find a pass rush this week defensively. Yeah, especially if you're if you're banking on uh, Maury Thomas or uh, DJ Terry to you know set that edge on the outside from that loop, whether they go underneath or they wrap back around. It's a slower player, especially with the law of the lateral, the jet sweeps and stuff like that. The Vanderbilt will run, especially with their quarterback. They don't have to have a wildcat guy in there because he is capable of doing that. Um, so I thought something South Carolina did really, really well was again, you had that lateral attack when you had Joyner quarterback in the and in, in the Wildcat and all that. And then you had Spencer Rattler, who again was just phenomenal on the night. So 
they have got to find a way to get to the quarterback and, and to disrupt some things to help those guys out in the back end because you're just not talented enough and you're slow back there right now. Um, so obviously Tennessee, you know, offensively, you don't want to add anything. I mean, I didn't think Hendon Hooker was extremely accurate, but you score 33 points before he goes out or 31 points or whatever, score another touchdown late in mop-up duty. I mean, t- Tennessee's offense got over 30 points. Um, it was just a defense that literally made one stop all night. Yeah, I mean, it's a simple well, thing. I mean, you, you weren't, you weren't clean. You weren't clean, Hubber, and, you know, you had to have played flawless perfection football with, with the defense playing the way it did. And, and you know, the, the chances of doing that are, are not great, right? I mean, you're going to have a, a series or two where, you you know, you, you stumble, you get a penalty, and you're playing at second and 25, and it's just hard to get back to the, you know, to pick up a first down. Not the case here, though. Um, you know, it, ultimately it, it turns into, you know, Tennessee was good, but they weren't great, and that resulted in – Sixty three thirty eight. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, I said this on the Vault Network broadcast that Pat Ryder talking about it. And it was like you, were, you felt like you were being critical of Hendon. Like Hendon was a, Hendon was a little bit off, you know, or he missed this or he missed that. And his numbers weren't bad at all. But the reality is, it was that way because of what you're saying, Austin. You had to score every every play. I mean, one of the biggest misses of the night was the first possession of the second half, where he's got Jacob Warren open for a first down throws the ball behind him a bit and the linebacker knocks it out. But you say, well, you know, that's a tough play. You, you got to punt there, but it's a really tough play because you felt like you had to score every time you touched the ball. Here's what I wonder this week, Rob, you got a new quarterback in Joe Milton. He's not going to have the full playbook at his disposal. I wouldn't imagine. I'm, I'm sure they're going to help him some with some check with me stuff at the line of scrimmage. In the LSU game to open that game, Tennessee ran the ball like six straight times. They 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 wanted to kind of announce their presence with authority, if you will. They they wanted to be physical there. They hit two run plays against South Carolina in that first drive, and, and then they were playing catch up the rest of the night. I wonder if this week against Vanderbilt, Tennessee doesn't enter this game with trying to establish the run a little bit more than we've seen with Hendon Hooker as the quarterback the last few weeks. If it's a little bit about let's get the ground game going to help Joe Milton out in this game, I wonder if they alter a little bit of their approach to start the game, Rob. That wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, I, I think we talk about it almost every week about balance being key to what Tennessee wants to do, but I think it's even more key this week when you're talking about changing quarterbacks. And, and for a backup, Milton is is very experienced, especially for you know this day and age in college football and you have so much movement, but. uh I don't think there's any way you want to go in there and say, hey, you know, this game's on you and your your right arm, Joe. I think far far more likely that they do what you say, Hubbard, and, and really lean heavy on the ground game. And I wouldn't, I would I would say they prefer to be more than balanced. I'd say they would be able to they they would like to be able to lean on the run and complement that with the pass, especially some play action. And Tennessee ran the football well against South Carolina. It's hard to really bank on the run game in the second half when you're down multiple scores, but the Jabari Small had a good game. I thought Jalen Wright didn't get many touches, but averaged almost five yards per carry. Um, Hendon helped in that regard a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I would agree with that as well. Lean on the run game, help out Joe Milton, try to find some, um, try to find some, that first, first down and some consistency on the ground and then allow that to open up and help out your quarterback. So, yeah. Uh, and, and, and the, the, you know, they had 60 yards on their first two carries. 
from scrimmage on the opening series. After the opening series, they had less than 100 yards rushing. Uh, they averaged about three yards a carry, a um, little over three yards a carry, and they didn't run it very much. What, I, what I'm saying is I, I just think that they're going to be a little – I would not be surprised if they're a little more hard-headed about trying to run the football early in the game, which I don't think since the LSU game they've necessarily been that way. They, they've been – They've been pretty, pretty. I won't say pass happy, but they've they've tried to throw the ball to set up the run game to get their balance that way. I just wonder if they help out Joe Milton by trying to force the run a little bit more early in the game to create balance, kind of in reverse order from what they've done the last few weeks. Well, and do they come out and and kind of go short passing game, trying to get Joe some confidence? You know, kind of like you know, just when you're trying to get that shooter that's kind of been. I want and Joe's not a slump because he's not been playing, but you're trying to get him some confidence early. You're, you're shooting in and you work your way out. Like, or do they come in and just say, yeah, we'll go check a deep. Well, and, and how to <laughs> change up in that situation as well. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're going to throw five 70 yard touchdowns in this game. Right. I mean, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do some things. The question is how's Vanderbilt going to play, play him. I mean, my guess is they're going to say, keep the ball in front and don't let him throw it overhead and see if he can make skilled, accurate throws for 14 plays you know, and, and, and throw slants and throw outs and, and that kind of stuff. So we'll see how Vanderbilt elects to play it. If they're going to play back with their safeties back, then that may dictate Tennessee running it even more to, to help, you know, get this offense into some kind of rhythm with, with the changes from this week also. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over under number of yards rushing for Joe Milton Saturday is what? Mm. 37. I'm going to go 67. I'm going to add to that. I think they're going to run him. And and I think he's very comfortable in that. And, you know, that's just my feel. Well, I mean, this is a Vanderbilt defense that, is the only team in the league besides Tennessee giving up 300 yards a game passing. I mean, they've been much better against the run. And, you know, some of that's probably a reflection of their schedule, who they played, um, especially in the league. But if if you just look at it on paper, it's a far easier defense to attack through the air. Yeah, Vanderbilt gets up 303 yards through the air, 153 yards on the ground, 456 yards overall and 34.5 points per game. So there will be some opportunities there, but so far this season has come through the air more so than on the ground. Yep, they've only, I think they've only got 12 sacks on the year as well, which, which is obviously not helping their numbers and could help Joe Milton's rushing totals, you know, if he doesn't hold on to the ball because he may not have a lot of negative yards because Vanderbilt doesn't do a good job sacking the quarterback, Eric. 
Nope, they, they definitely don't. Vanderbilt has sacked the quarterback 17 times so far this season, um, which is not a small number, but still it's it's not where you know some of the other teams around the SEC is. Uh, so Tennessee's moving on Vanderbilt. It's a huge game for all the reasons we pointed out. Of course, we'll continue to uh, break down this matchup and preview this matchup. But one question that we will have, um, who might be available for this football game? We know Hooker is going to be out as Austin kind of went down. He, he you know, talked about the receivers, and we'll see about Brew, see about you know, Cedric Tillman. Um, no updates on Brandon Turnage or Danico Slaughter from Josh Hop on a Monday. But Tennessee was without its starting middle linebacker, Jeremy Banks, um, for this football game against South Carolina. Uh, we touched on this before the game, touched on this after the game. And Josh Heupel was asked specifically Monday about the rumors of the altercation in the locker room. Um, will he be available to play? Was he suspended? This is all Josh Heupel had to say on Jeremy Banks Monday in his press conference. Uh, we, we anticipate Jeremy uh, being with us here uh, this week. And, and uh, you know, as far as um, what transpired and, and those types of things, at the end of the day, he wasn't available uh, this Saturday. So sticking with he wasn't available, he expects him to have the opportunity to be with Tennessee this week. Um, we'll have to see if he checks all the boxes in order to get that done. But uh, bottom line, Brent Hubs, he is sticking to his gun, saying he's unavailable. And uh, we'll have to see if Jeremy Banks is available for Tennessee this week because, I mean, the defense, it can use them. Now, it's not the reason Tennessee lost defensively. Jeremy Banks does not make up 25 points. I'm going to say that right now. Uh, but it's not like it would have hurt, uh, hurt Tennessee to have him out there. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, he's a talented player. Jeremy's got to do what Jeremy's got to take care of Jeremy's business, you know, and, and put himself in a situation to where he's available to play on, on Saturday. We'll, we'll see, you know, how the rest of the week goes for, for Jeremy Banks and, and where it goes from there. It certainly sounds like Josh Heupel is um, planning on playing him and planning on having him this weekend at, at this point. Um, you know, one of the things Coach Heupel is just, Austin, he's just not going to get into any details. I mean, he's not going to give any details to that and to anything that's taking place with his team off the field or with injuries or whatever. And, and that's his right. I'm, I'm not saying it's not his right. I think it fuels speculation, in my opinion, with things. Um, and, and that's something that he, you know, appears to be comfortable with. Um, I'm not changing where, where we are with what happened last week, as, as you put, put out and noted in the chat on Sunday afternoon with details, because all of us on here have worked too hard to talk to people to try to figure out what all has taken place. And with what we posted on Sunday, you know, we, everybody was comfortable with everybody that we had spoken with, but Josh Heupel certainly didn't put anything to bed on Monday in regards to that from a week ago. We'll see where this team is and where Jeremy Banks is and how this team responds to, to what happened this past weekend. Um, and, and, you know, until then, there's going to be plenty of speculation about what's going on with this football team. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and frankly, I'm just done talking about him. Like, I mean, if he, if he plays Saturday, great. If he don't play, next man up. You know, I mean, Eric's right. He didn't make up – they weren't making up 25 points because Jeremy Banks. Um, but he definitely does give them an added dimension when he's in there at linebacker. Um, can play sideline to sideline. He brings a lot of energy. But uh, – you know, I, I'm not so sure, you know, if you play him Saturday, if, you know, he'll be available, you know, in postseason. I mean, you know, can he make it through another month? And uh, I just think that ultimately, you know, you need to, you know, rely on Aaron Beasley, who I think is playing solid football. Juwan Mitchell needs to bounce back. He's played pretty well. He did not play well Saturday, but he's played pretty well leading up to that. So we'll see if he bounces back. And then what some of those young, other younger guys, what, you know, what can they do? Can they come along? Um, but I mean, you know, the Jimmy Bank situation is what it is. I mean, at this point, here we are on Tuesday. 
people are going to believe what they want to believe. Um, I know I've made a lot of, you know, JFK references the last few weeks. Some people just like to live on the grass, you know, and some people don't. And that's kind of just what it is with that situation. Well, and again, I think part of it is people are looking for a reason why yes. Saturday yeah. happened, right? Like, like, you know, I mean, all those guys are like, something happened. Fans are like, I mean, something has to be going on, right? And so, again, we'll, we'll see where the leadership on this football team is. Uh, I don't think they're a divided house, personally, um, you know, or anything like that. But we'll see where the leadership of this football team is on Saturday. I mean, not having Hendon Hooker out there from a leadership standpoint is a big deal. Who, who's going to kind of be the alpha guy? Who's going to make sure everything is getting done and, and ready to go? Josh Heupel said on Monday, Rob, that this team has good leadership. That leadership's going to get tested this week and on Saturday. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I don't, I don't think they're – I think the divided house stuff is overblown because I don't think you get to the last week in November and it just now rears its head. You know, I mean, that's that that just, that doesn't jive with me. At all, I you know, and and, and you mentioned Hubbard's Josh Heupel's program. He he can handle things how he want wants. I just I think it would have been better for everybody if he just quashed, you know if there really was you know just violation of team rules type stuff. If he he could have just quashed that on Monday and said no, there wasn't a fight. It was you know violation of team rules, and we're handling it in house. And and I'll add one more thing to this whole thing as well. And, and I think we all have a pretty good understanding of this. But you know, we've all been around football. We've all covered football. You got or. Yeah, both you guys, Rob and Brent, your sons play football. I mean, <laughs> you have 85 guys at the peak of their, you know, physical ability, you know, working out, you know, playing playing game of football. They're around each other every single day. It's not going to be all roses every single day. There are going to be disagreements. There are going to be shouting matches. There are going to be dust-ups on the practice field. There's dust-ups in camp. I mean, that's football. I mean, that that is what football is. And so, um, you know, it just kind of – you have disagreements sometimes. That's yeah, normal. It does not mean you have bad culture. It does not mean that your house is divided. It does not mean that it's offense versus defense. Um, for me, that's just the biggest thing from this past little little saga that just got kind of got me all wound up a little bit. So, anyway, yeah. well, so perfect example. And, and and you know, you peel back the curtain a little bit with just me personally. So me me and the wife we're into a you know, nice little verbal, you know, dispute um, here recently, and one of the girls was like. Oh, I don't want you to get divorced. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Just because me and mommy are having a debate about something doesn't mean we're getting, well, so-and-so's mom and dad did that. Well, we're not them, you know? So Eric's right. Just because you get into it doesn't mean that he's not your brother. He's not, you know, you know, you're not, you know, still, you know, buddies. You, you can have a disagreement. Hubs and I argue from time to time. And five minutes later, we're talking to each other like we're ready to go and, you know, you know, hang out, whatever. Like the point is, is like that, that, that happens. Like, you know, you can't crumble just because you have a disagreement with somebody. I mean, like this whole notion that like the whole half the team said, I'm done. I'm rebelling now. And I'll smell it in against South Carolina. I mean, come on. Yeah, I don't think they want to get embarrassed on national television. Out, like, that's either. like the most ludicrous take there's, there's been. Yeah, I've I mean, seen a bunch of takes. Some of them I can actually probably even get behind, like, you know, just like they actually look valid. They might not be true, but they look valid. Like that one is just so ridiculous that half the team just said, I'm it, I'm done. I'm going to well, let them get third and 24s all day long. AP, to your point, I mean, you'll remember, I mean, Paul Fortenberry tried to fight somebody every week for, for three or four years. And, you know, we, at the end of the day, we all managed to get along and, and, and coexist. Yep, that's right. Until, until, 
he fell on a helmet. We sent him to Clayton. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if people people would be people would be dumbfounded to to know like even Tennessee's best teams, right? Oh. Like their most successful teams. That '98 team, I, I promise you, they didn't sing "Kumbaya" and wrote. And, and, I mean. That's just that's that's the locker room that that's and, it, and we just live in a world where there, there's so many outlets for voices and so many things and so many people hear certain things and it's okay to throw out every 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 random thing that you hear out there and and those things become you know be, be, take on a life of their own which is my point when when I was with Josh Heupel's comments on Monday that that when you don't put anything to bed then the rest of the week the discussion is going to be about What's that situation about? Yep. And then again, I'm not saying Josh Heupel's wrong, okay? Because I'm on the side of the fence where it would be like, hey, make it easier on me, selfishly. I, I, you know, help everybody out a little bit. It's his program. You know, he's a former player, views the locker room as, as a sacred deal. You never talk about what happens in the locker room. Oh, that's fine. That's his business. But it does and will continue to fuel speculation up until Tennessee kicks the football off Saturday night in, in, in Nashville. Yeah, like the whole notion that in this in aisle thing. No, it's not. Buddy, players have been jealous of other players when they were getting paid under the table for years. Like, just because you introduce, you know, legal money into it doesn't make the jealousy any different than it's been for 30 years. Like, because all these players talk. They all talk back when this player got that or this player got that behind under the table for years. And they all knew what each other had gotten or not gotten or were shorted or shortchanged or benefited from or whatever. Same thing here. Like, I mean, like, you know, last year when like players were getting like a hundred dollars for stuff, like there was, you know, same type, you know, oh man, you know, that there is this year. I mean, like it, like the whole notion is just so silly to me, but again, all, you know, in, in, anytime you introduce money into something, there's always going to be a little bit of a dispute. Right. I mean, like players have a, have a, exaggerated self-worth of themselves um you know and so they all want as much as they can get but like this notion that all of a sudden that there's now jealousy on the team like again players have known that kids got stuff for years that's not a that's nothing new yeah and again you know no one wants to get their tail whip on national television no one wants to lose correct on some potential money in terms of draft stock so again there's and, and then again, there's pride. I mean, it, it, so there's just too many, too many factors working against that one. So we will see if Jeremy Banks plays against Vanderbilt, uh, but Tennessee will play against Vanderbilt and needs to win this football game uh, to finish off a regular season that has been really good. First time if Tennessee wins again, it'll be the first 10 win regular season since 03. Um, if Tennessee wins, it could be the first 10 win season of any kind since 07. It's been a long time and you want to finish this off the right way because this has been a good year. You beat Alabama, you beat Florida. You were you debuting at number one in the college football playoffs. Saturday was disappointing. It was awful. No excuse. Pathetic defensive performance. College football playoffs no longer in play. Your quarterback's hurt. It sucks. Were, were you at Rush Strong then? Where, where were you in 2003? You think I went to Rush Strong? I don't know. I'm just making this up. Jefferson, Jefferson City Elementary? I was an elk, baby. Elementary, middle. So in 2003, I was in elementary school. Yeah, so Jefferson Elementary. That's great. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. Let, let, let's you talk about I was on Barnaby's, hanging out on Barnaby's. <laughs> Barnaby's. That's great. That right there is a great reference. <laughs> All right, so let's talk just quick as we get out the door here a little bit about the bowl situation, okay? Kind of clear everybody up on a little bit of that. That's the importance of this game as well. Not just tell me where we're going. Tell me where I'm playing golf, Hubbard. Let's go ahead and predict it now. 
Well, I think you could be in Dallas, which I've seen Dallas in snow for the Cotton Bowl before. Um, so that's a possibility. Miami is a possibility. And then if you lose the football game, I think Orlando is where, is where you're going. So here's kind of where this thing sets with the Orange Bowl, all right? The Orange Bowl is taking the ACC champion or the highest-ranked ACC team not in the college football playoff. Okay, so that would be Clemson as it appears right now, provided they win the ACC championship and don't get in the top four. The Orange Bowl's other pick is Notre Dame, a Big Ten school, or an SEC school, highest ranked in the college football playoff ranking. For Tennessee, they have to be careful for Penn State in the Orange Bowl. Penn State could take Tennessee's spot in the Orange Bowl if they finish higher in the college football playoff ranking. So that's the one. That's the that's the team you're watching when you when you see the things unveiled Tuesday night and you go Tennessee's falling to where? Look and see where Penn State's at because that's going to dictate a lot about what the bowl season looks like in terms of, of the Orange Bowl. If the Orange Bowl's not a possibility and Tennessee beats Vanderbilt, then I think the Cotton Bowl is very realistic and that would be against the Group of Five winner out of that pool, which could be Tulane. I guess could be Coastal Carolina, perhaps. Um, could that be Cincinnati? I don't think that's going to be Cincinnati. Be. Cincinnati and UCF's out there. Right now, it'd be Tulane if if the if the Cotton Bowl were were, were picking today, right? Tulane and versus awesome the balls, baby. So that that is that's kind of where things stand in, in terms of New Year's Six. What the possibilities are for Tennessee if they win? It's those two bowls dictated largely by where Tennessee is in the rankings compared to Penn State. And then if Tennessee were not to win, then I think that Tennessee would be in Orlando for – is it still called the Citrus Bowl? I don't know what that thing is. Is that the VRBO Bowl? VR, the Verbo Citrus Bowl. The Verbo Citrus Bowl. And we would probably use VRBO somewhere to have a place to stay at a bowl game, wherever that might be. How about that shameless plug? You know, I was I was transitioning into that. It's like Brent Hub just read my mind right there. So hey, that's uh, a seamless there stopping point after the bowl talk, and uh, we'll be back at it for your questions on the mailbag edition of the Ball Quest podcast coming up later this week. Hey, you might have missed one dollar for one year. We still got a really good deal for you up until kickoff of twenty twenty three. Everybody said, hey, Joe Milton's going to start this weekend. It's going to preview what next football season is going to be like from now until kickoff twenty twenty three. Ten dollars for the year. Take advantage of it over VolQuest.com. If you haven't already, if you're not a subscriber, you get weekly, you know, behind the curtain stuff of the war room, matchup pieces, uh, tons and tons of stuff that a whole lot of people miss out on if you're not a subscriber to VolQuest.com, plus access to the general's quarters where we drop in and uh, put some recruiting nuggets, team news, all that stuff, and more. So $10 for one year from now until kickoff 2023 over at VolQuest.com. For Rob Lewis, Brent Hubs, Austin Price, I'm Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys for hanging out with us here today on the VolQuest Podcast. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the VolQuest Podcast every week here on VolQuest. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.